Thank you again so much. I know you guys' time is really important. The feedback that we got when I had you guys on individually was huge. It was some of our best viewed and listened to podcasts. So it's going to be horrible. We're together in the same building. I know it's going to be even worse. <laughs> the internet might break. <laughs> we might just shut down Zoom altogether. So I'm going to post some questions and then it'll be like a game show. You'll have to like ring in to answer. I'm just kidding. You'll just answer as you wish to answer. But if I can get you guys both to reintroduce yourselves to people who may not know the awesomeness that you both are. And so we can get a little background of what your practices maybe include, and then we're going to navigate from there. All right. Go ahead, Dave. So if I say anything inappropriate, it's Ben Catholic. Now I'm Dave Burke. I'm a pediatrician at Cleveland Clinic and also a professor of primary care at Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. Dr. Catholic introduced me to FSM, would you say about eight or nine years ago now, Ben? Like that, yeah. And we opened up a pediatric integrative medicine center at Cleveland Clinic and have done some really cool things with it. And it's really been life altering for us and a lot of our patients. And we've been blessed to work with Kim through some of the seminars and see some of her work and incorporate some of that too. And the three of us have actually gotten to be pretty good buddies by using FSM and joining our energies with Carol and the rest of you. And we are very happy to be here again. What a and that about wraps up the podcast. So thanks everybody. I know, yeah. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> when oh. Carol said, wait a minute, you guys are, you're going to have Ben and Dave on at the same time. And I said, yes. Are you going to be able to get any sort of podcast done if that happens? Yeah. We're, we're just going to see what happens. We're all friends here. This may um, not happen again. <laughs> yeah. Be like Haley's Comet. Ben, what do you have to add to this? Can you talk about um, your practice? <laughs> yeah, Ben Catholi. I am was at Cleveland Clinic with Dave. I'm now at Shirley Ryan in Chicago, which is a rehab hospital here. And my background is uh, pediatric rehab. And I do, as part of my practice, some integrative medicine as well. My uh, probably a big focus is I have a big population of kids with a variety of dis developmental disabilities, cerebral palsy. Um, brachial plexus injuries and that sort of thing. And I also work in uh, pediatric chronic pain as well. And so do a variety of inpatient rehab, outpatient work and some specialty clinics and then, but still get to do the FSM, which is a blessing. And I think you're always going to go down your claim to fame is the practitioner that used the most machines at one time. And I was telling Kara after I had talked to you, I said, do you know that doesn't do that often anymore. And she was like, oh, well, what's the fun I of that? Say that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, we, we still use multiple units, but I know that it, for, it, I think for my current practice, it's been more trying to figure out what approaches work best. And so it's less about not that we don't do that, but just trying to feel out what's going to be the most effective, especially for different movements or different symptoms that we're working on. But it, sometimes you still need a whole bunch of units and, but maybe I haven't done quite as many as we did before. Sometimes you just have to, if you get a really complicated patient and if I have, if I have four of them sitting around, I'm like, okay, I've got two hours. <laughs> I know this needs to be on. So there's one machine. I know this has to run. So there's another main. And so there definitely is a time when you need all the machines and all the wires and all the leads yep. and all the stickies and all the things. So yep. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to back up the train right in the beginning. And I'll have you both talk about what maybe your favorite frequencies are right now that you're using. I know that most of us, especially those of us have been using it for a while. Like for me, I always have the 
like the frequency of the year, the one that like I've really highlighted or I've got a lot of mileage with. So is there any, let's talk about some A channels because I think those are the ones are the most variable. We talked a little bit then last time with 94 and 321. And thank you for reintroducing that in my like, in my brain, because sometimes you get really mechanical, right? And you go through the motions and you go, okay, I know I need to run this, but, and you drive by the other ones really quickly. And I've really sat with 321 and 94 and 294 a little bit more. And I'll talk about my stuff later, but Dave, why don't we start with you? What are you, or is there a condition that you're treating a lot of? And then so there's the A's. Recently, more? I've been getting more spasticity. Actually, Ben and I just gave a conference at Cleveland Clinic for the spasticity clinic. And so with spasticity, I like to use 81 and 10, increased secretions of the spinal cord from head to toe. I also will sometimes use 81 and 396 from either the base of the neck to the hands or the lumbar spine to the feet, just to increase secretions of the nerves to help calm things down. Just last week, I had the opportunity to treat a young lady who had complex regional pain syndrome, which she had had for four years and had gotten referred to me by another one of our colleagues, Dr. Ellen Rosenquist, who's a pediatric pain management specialist. And we were able to totally take her pain away from a seven out of 10 to a zero out of 10 in 35 minutes. Wow. Coming back in on Friday. But so we were able to 4396 from low back to feet, and I treated 4010 from neck to feet. And also ran concussion on her. And I ran some depression, anxiety on her just because of all of the things that she had to give up during that length of time. And she was absolutely blown away. Today, I treated a the father of one of my patients. I don't usually see a ton of adults, but this is a guy who's pushing 50. He was a former Marine, and I always have a place in my heart for veterans. And he had some nerve damage. He had compressed his brachial plexus from wearing a really tight backpack when he was doing some training 20 years ago and has had chronic pain and limited range of motion. And so I was channeling my friend Kim Pittis and ran 40 and 396 from neck to hand. And I ran scar tissue of the nerves while doing some range of motion and some fascial distortion techniques, which I'm going to shamelessly put a plug in for there's a conference coming up at Cleveland Clinic, October 15th and 16th for fascial distortion model for anyone who's interested, fdmacademy.org and took his pain away completely. And he was kept doing his range of motion with his arms. And he's like, I can't do this (laughs) as he's doing it with no pain. And his eyes were about the size of saucers. And it was amazing to, to be able to help one of our veterans who helped us. So that was one of my most rewarding things. Fantastic. And um, thanks for walking us through the ways you were treating them. And sometimes I think we can get like super complicated and we're really searching for investigational frequencies or something that's really outrageous. And I think we need to start with, I typically will always start with statistically what I think will work the best and 40 and 10 and 40 and 396. I think would, especially when you have pain, you don't have to go searching necessarily for the cause of pain. I try to always teach that in the sports course. Yes. Maybe it's caused by something way outside your scope of practice, or maybe it's caused by something that you really have to do a lot of detective work to find, but pain is pain. And your number one goal is to get your patient, like to get that pain to drop that first treatment, or there won't be a treatment number two to try to figure out what it's caused from. So thanks for reminding us about 
40 and 10 and 4396. Ben, what can you add to this? So I think last time we talked a lot about treatment of kind of neurologic disorders, and you mentioned 94 and 321 and 49. And I think since the last podcast, it's been a lot of 970s. Mm. I don't know if it's the season, but a lot of I've been using a lot of 970s with benefit. And I would say the other thing is just. I know Carol talks a lot about vagal nerve dysfunction and kind of seeing a lot of interesting results with that, seeing a lot of odd viral reactions affecting the, not even COVID, but kind of other infections or things. We had a patient with really severe tonsillitis and then developed some this and a lot of GI symptoms related to, I don't know whether it was antibiotics, but a lot of vagal nerve issues. And so we ended up treating bacterial frequencies and viral frequencies in the vagus, and that really improved symptoms significantly. And I think continue to be amazed at what vagus can do in both kind of GI symptomatology, but also in the growing evidence for it in use of kind of neuroplasticity. Some really neat articles coming out about the nerve stem and how that can affect motor recovery and different types of central nervous system injuries. So that's been, I don't remember when our last podcast was, but that's been the big focus the last month or two is that I'm remembering anyway, that would be something different from what we talked about last time. Let, I'm going to go back. So some of our, some of the people that listen don't know the numbers offhand because they're just lay people. So the nine seventies are bank for the emotional or the or emotions. And so when we think about the nine seventies on our A channel, are you using them as it's written in the laminate? What, how they're That's applied to you with the B channel, um, or are you using it in the tissue that you're trying to affect? So two things, since I do some acupuncture, sometimes if I'm spotting what I looks like kind of meridian dysfunction through a whole part of the body, I think 970 and that specific channel um, for that organ can be really helpful, but I also do it in specific tissues too, treating as we usually would with 40 and 396 and other approaches, but then 970 in those tissues as well. What about you? What about you, Dave? 970s, how do you use them? I, a lot of times will do a, depends on what I'm treating. If I have somebody like this, another Marine that I was working on a couple of weeks ago, had some trauma to his abdomen from a motor vehicle accident when he was in the military. And so I was treating his general anxiety and depression, which he had had a longstanding history of, as well as PTSD, but I had some extra units. So I got out my precision care and put in 970 and I started treating the fascia, the connective tissue, things like that, and really got a pretty good smush. And this is a guy who had bilateral hernia surgery and an appendectomy because of his lower abdominal pain, which didn't take care of his pain because that wasn't the cause of his pain. His pain was from his accident. And it wasn't until I started doing body work on him and releasing some fascial distortion restrictions and running microcurrent that he was able to recall the the injury. Uh, which was really cool because I was working on him and I just saw his face light up and he said, did something happen? And I said, well, I just felt the tissue release. And he goes, well, I just had a, I just had a flashback of my car accident, which I had forgotten about. And so when we were able to release that energy that was stored in that tissue for what, 20, 30 years now, I felt the release, I felt it as a tissue release. He felt it as an emotional release and his pain was gone at the end of that period of time. Yeah. I treated his anxiety depression and he's actually, interestingly, he's coming back in on Friday with his daughter who I think I presented before for chronic rib pain that had seen four different specialists. And we were able to fix that with 
microcurrent and manipulations as well. Yeah. So when you put your hands on the patient and you're, and you have that connection and you feel like a huge release more than what you're expecting, there's a lot of times there's an emotional component with that. And it's interesting to sometimes ask the patient, what are you feeling? Because they may be reliving something that they've been through, especially kids who have been through trauma or PTSD or veterans or surgical issues or divorce, rape, whatever. So watch your patient's faces if you get a reaction that you think is more generous than you were anticipating, because there's a lot of times there's a really cool story behind that could be very life altering for the patient when you can help them work through things that have been stored up in their body for 20 or 30 years. That's a very important point I want to talk about for a second, because I had talked about this a few podcasts ago with, I think it was with Carol. I'm starting to forget who I'm telling all my stories to, but I was in college and we did a ton of outreach to get volunteer hours in. And when you're doing manual therapies, many bodies, and as you can treat the better, and we were volunteering and I had treated, we were doing a lot of anterior neck work and we were warned about the longest coli. And one of our teachers was calling it the sobbing muscle. So to be careful when you are releasing longest coli and sure enough, here I was young Kim in college doing some very great anterior neck manipulation. And the patient shot up and screamed, I was raped. And I had no idea what to do or what to say. And that patient was freaked out because it was like, she wasn't prepared to blurt that out. So that's an extreme case of putting your hands on somebody and having somebody release something like that. But I think we see a lot of it with FSM and it sneaks up on us really slowly. So many times you'll have patients that start telling you stories and about injuries and they don't even realize that they're giving you so much information on how to help their case because they just start relaxing and they start talking. And to your point, I'm not sure what is it that starts unlocking the memory of old injuries? Yeah, essentially, I, I really think it's the connection, the energetic connection that you make when you put your hands on patients and you are able to help relieve their pain and it's never been a negative experience for me. It's always been a positive. I've had so many people say, I've never told anyone that I was date raped in college. My husband doesn't know. My therapist doesn't know. You're the only one that I've told. And then we can, fortunately, I'm a physician. It can help them navigate, hopefully, but get them into therapy and get them to work through some of these longstanding issues. And it's amazing how many patients with fibromyalgia, chronic headaches, chronic fatigue have had negative physical or emotional things going on in their life that they don't even remember what happened or have suppressed it to the point where they never made the connection. And when you can talk about how energy works and chi and energy flow and Reiki and all of that, something magical happens. And I, I don't know, actually, Dr. Catholi just sent me a book yesterday that I started reading by Neil Nathan, who is another big microcurrent proponent and a national speaker. And I'm only on the second chapter and I'm already blown away. And he's, my, my head is expanding as his words come to me. So it's fascinating to help. I don't know how it works, but it does. Yeah, that yeah. book is really interesting. A, a patient of mine gave it to me and I felt motivated to share it with Dave. Neil's going to be at the advanced in oh, cool. uh, our next advance. So I don't awesome. know where all these awesome people, it's going to be like a two month long advance with all the speakers that she's talking about coming. We're going to have to go all night long, I think, because I don't know how she's going to get everybody in. Do you have anything to add with the emotional frequencies, Ben? No, I'm not sure I could do it better justice than Dave. I think I think there's a lot of manual practitioners that experience these releases, whether you're 
NLMT or a craniosacral therapist or whatever hands-on modality that you're applying that, and I hadn't really experienced it until during acupuncture training, we saw some kind of emotional releases from people and I wasn't prepared for it because that wasn't something that I ran across in my training. And I think seeing more of it with FSM, I've come to have a healthier respect for it and understanding and also looking for it. But it's, I agree, it's, it's, I think it's part of the healing process. And so it's something that is maybe not everybody needs it, but I think it, we all have emotions related to whatever symptoms we're dealing with. And for sure. One of the, one of the cases that I presented years ago was I'll be the first to admit, I didn't use the nine seventies for probably the first two years I practiced with FSM. I didn't use them. I thought that part was weird in the course. I wanted scar tissue. I wanted range of motion. I wanted bone healing. I wanted all that stuff. I was working with really tough athletes. So I admittedly, I checked out when we started hearing about that. And then I was working with a professional hockey player who had a huge contusion on his glute from two, two freak falls during a game, broken blood vessels nerve, nerve damage. And I was on treatment, I think three or four, I had got almost all the range of motion, pretty close to symmetrical. All the inflammation was going down, but I was trying to get more hip flexion. So his glute was being really restricted and he's supine on the table and I'm trying to get his hip to move. And it's, it's not going anywhere. Everything that I punched in the precision care was useless. I was super frustrated. And then the patient starts talking to me, really talking. Like, I'm so frustrated with this injury. I'm like, yeah, me too, man. I'm frustrated. Like I'm, and these, no, and I'm scared. Like, what if I lose my spot in the lineup? I'm like, whatever. I'm trying to like get your glute to move. And then I'm like thinking, oh, he's giving me the answers right now. He's frustrated. He's scared. We have frequencies for these. So I thought, why not test this objectively? ran the 970s and wouldn't you know it passive hip flexion starts gaining more and more and I was like ah they worked so I think to your point the patient starts telling you things and Dave you just said it too he said this is the first time I've been able to open up to anybody to talk about how scared I am with this injury and there is that that huge connection there and so I don't know if it's the frequencies that like you said, remove that blockage or them just saying it out loud, how that deep sigh that your patients take on the table. Sometimes you're like, okay, this is starting to work. It's so funny though, because how often when you're working on someone and you feel stuck that the patient tells you the answer, Yes, they just say something. It's like, I just, I just feel like it just needs to be reset. I'm like, oh, you mean like 321? Or it feels like a deep old scar tissue. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're exactly right. Your body and I'm not listening to you. No. I know. My father used to always say, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I didn't really get it as a kid, but now I'm like, okay, listen. So there, the questions are keep popping up, but I want to get to one that before we get too far off, off topic that was sent a little while ago to you, Ben, Jeez, I, I had everything right here, ready to go. And of this course- This is from prior or today? 
I was just pulling up. This is from a couple, this is from a couple days ago. Oh, okay. They had emailed it to me. So it was about 49. So this is a follow-up to when you and I were talking, because we talked a lot about 49, which I have always loved 49 more than 81. So I was really happy to hear. So it's always nice when you hear other practitioners that are also liking the same frequencies as you and also discounting the ones that you don't like. There's that validation there. The question says, I've been using the 49 frequency with some results like 49,396, 49,6,10, in addition to some other sequences for specific pathologies. Regarding running 40 and 10, I have been following it with 81 and 10 for a few minutes. Under that conditions, might 49 and 10 be used in place of 81 and 10 or in addition to 81 and 10? Have you an experience using 49 and 10? If so, has it worked? So I think I tend to combine the two. Like 49 Uh and 81? Yeah, I'll do both. I feel like 81, and when we talk about kind of cord sensitization and that indication like Carol always talks about with palmar sensitivity and heel cord pain and sensitivity up and down the back, that, you know, is very classic for 4010. And that classic indication for 8110 of like spasticity or very focal muscle spasms. And at 49, I do, but I don't have the same indication, but I definitely do because I feel like it's supportive. And I feel like when I run it, I get a little longer benefit in general, but I don't have the same like clear cut here's when I have to use it. But I do try to use both, but I don't have pick one over the other. I don't know about you, Jay. No, I don't pick one. I run 8110 more often, but a lot of times I do finish up with Vitality for a few minutes and you had actually mentioned a couple months ago when we were having a conversation with Carol about how both of you had been running more vitality channels with for longer periods of time. And like you both, I have found that vitality, I think also is probably a time related or time dependent a channel. And so instead of running it for one or two minutes, like I typically did, I've now been running it for longer periods of time. As long as I start noticing the patient kind of starting to get a little foggy after three or four minutes and So I've been doing a lot more with Vitality, which I never, that was my 970 for you, Kim. I hardly ever used Vitality until a couple months ago, other than maybe for a minute or two at the end of most of my protocol. So I've been doing a lot more with Vitality. So I don't know that I have a whole lot to offer because I've still been playing around with that recently, but I have a feeling I'm going to be using more of it in the future. I've had a ton of success with 49 post-operatively. And I think it's been, it's been a game changer to use my FSM sports tagline. And I agree. I think it's time dependent. I used to always throw it on the custom care between two and four minutes. And now I've been putting it on for at least 30 minutes, if not hours for post-op, not acutely post-op, maybe one month out for sure. I'm going to get to some of the questions that are on here live because I have a feeling they're just going to keep coming and coming. Someone said, I love the 49s since 1992. Susan, you are ahead of the curve here. Thanks for adding that and making me feel sad that I haven't paid (laughs) attention to it more. It's one of those, Louis, can you keep Naming the frequencies, it helps understanding the treatment. Yes, we'll start using the words also besides the numbers that that helps us. Okay, so one of the questions comes from Manette, says, good day, everybody. So excited that Dr. Catholi and Dr. Burke are here. So am I, Manette. I have a 22-month-old kiddo who has a right cerebral hemorrhage when he was born. 
history of seizure, still on meds and apnea. He's currently delayed with his milestones and left UE and LE weakness. His muscle tone started to get better, but not enough to provide stability and standing and ability to use left UE for play. I just got a green light from neurologist to use FSM yesterday. I'm excited and nervous at the same time. Recommendations and what frequency to start. And I guess the question for Minette, is this a kid with spastic hemiplegia or is he more kind of low tone at that point? Because I think that would help determine what we'd be targeting. I think one thing that we oh, use- hang on one sec. I'm going to look oh. for the third point she wrote. She wrote for my spastic quadriplegia CP kiddo. I'm not sure if it's the same person. Maybe a different, it looks like it may be a different patient. Okay. So if it's spastic oh, hemiplegia- Manette, Manette wrote low tone. Oh, low tone. Okay. Never mind. I wrong. All right. So, because definitely we, at least from my standpoint, I treat the kids with spasticity very differently than the low muscle tone kids. Okay. And I think for the low muscle tone kids targeting, I start outside and work in. So we'll target kind of 49 in the nerve, 396, and then we'll treat the cord and then we'll treat the motor cortex or the cerebellum. And Dave, I don't know if you differentiate from that, but versus the spastic kids, actually one of the OTs that we worked with in Cleveland, Jesse Stricker figured out running Neuroma and MFTP together, both those programs seem to really affect muscle tone and also sensation to the affected limb, meaning the kids that were old enough to tell us said that they felt more symmetric sensation between the two limbs for an extended period, which was super interesting, which then helped them have better use of it in therapy because they had a better sense of themselves in space. Dave, do you have anything to add for kind of- So, so just kind of reading through their vignette, I've had really interesting results when I, so they had mentioned there was a brain hemorrhage. So I've had really interesting success with treating, stop the bleeding of that oh, part great. of the brain. Um, so- 18. 18 and 90, if this was frontal lobe for this patient, or if it's cerebellum, 84, 94, even though the bleed was years ago, I've had really neat responses in my patients who have had former brain bleeds and then also treat scar tissue of that area because that bleed had to go somewhere and it's typically into scar tissue. So treat that. And then also remember, treat the scarring of the dura. And a lot of times that can have a pretty profound effect, especially if that scar tissue is causing some nerve impingement because of if your spinal fluid is impinged from scar tissue, then the dura a lot of times will help release that. Really interesting point. I want to make sure that we, we heard correctly, because I think a lot of us, me included, would always use 18 in just those acute conditions. And one way that I'm trying to teach this again is if the possibility existed for that area to bleed, <laughs> use 18, right? If it once bled, and I find that can be really useful when you know something is scarred and you're running all the scarring frequencies and you aren't getting anywhere to go back and try 18 again. So really helpful tip, Dave. Thank you. Yeah. So sometimes you treat it like an onion, you're peeling back levels. So sometimes you have to go to the very first level of the injury, even though it may have been years ago. So right. you can get so far for one appointment, but I lost the patients with chronic issues. This is a marathon, not a sprint. So we can, we're, we're taking a little bit off at a time. It's going to take some time to get through this all. And I don't want to overwhelm the patients. So we're like, this, we're better. Let's see you back in a week or a couple of days or whatever your schedule permits. Or if you have a, somebody else that works with you, maybe they can come back and see your assistant and they can give them a set of frequencies to run in the meantime before you see them again.
Excellent. Manette asks for autism and autism spectrum. The patients that she sees are usually nonverbal, high sensory issues between sensitivity and seeker, low muscle tone globally, aside from using concussion protocol, any recommendations in those cases? So autism is tricky. I know that after my, even my last podcast, several people sent me their autism protocols that they've been working on too. So there's a lot of different ways to go about treating autism, whether it be herbal things, homeopathic things, nutrition, treating different parts of the liver, the adrenal cortex, things like that. I adapted mine from Carol's neurodegenerative protocol, which was, I think, initially made for Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, and it's part of the core. But I adapted that into my autism protocol, which we refer to as neuroconditions too, which is in several of my ADHD talks, I believe, from a couple years ago that should be on the, in some of the advanced former slides. And I also treat, I treat them for ADHD, which I do have a 22 minute protocol, I think also in her slides, and then treat the emotional component of either relax and balance or depression or anxiety. So I typically will run three different machines on them. I have those programmed into custom cares. If you can't find those protocols, reach out to me and I can get them to you. I have nothing to add. I'm going to keep going down with Minette. Minette. Your questions are great. For spastic quadriplegia CP with poor muscle tone to trunk muscles, used a combination of 40, 49, and 10, 40, 49, 396 to improve the rigidity to both LE and some to left UE. The 81 seemed to make the rigidity worse. I used concussion protocol with Vegas, which helped my 30-month toddler deal with constant illness. He recently was able to sit with minimal support for 20 minutes and able to stand when placed against a wall, wall without collapsing. Any frequency combination recommendations or protocols to better improve his overall development? Who's that addressed to? I think Ben should go with that one first. So I, I think that when we see kids with cerebral palsy and they have high muscle tone, I think we have to look at them all a little bit differently. And sometimes definitely there's stuff that I think will be a slam dunk and is totally the opposite reaction. I mean, this is a good example of one where Annette tried 81 and it seemed to make the tone worse, but 49 helped. But I think that it helps emphasize the fact that there's a difference between those 80, 81 and 49 in terms of the effects on the spinal cord. But I think trying to remember in cerebral palsy that there's that map or in any kind of injury to the central nervous system, there's that map called the homunculus and what is impacted and close to the midline is more the legs. And then the next step out in kind of the brain is the arms and then the face is the lowest down aspect. And based on the description, I'm guessing that there's a stronger effect in the more medial parts of the homunculus. And so one thing that we've played around with aside from this is targeting some of those other motor cortex frequencies that are on the advanced. And we get asked often, like, which one is which? And I'm frankly still figuring that out. I think I have some ideas, but still for consistent responses, I, I do try them all, but I haven't decided which one I think is related to which part of the homunculus. But I, I do treat the basics on those. Do we have, I still love Dave's protocol, the Neuro2, I think that can be really helpful also. But I guess the bigger question is, are you trying to treat the tone or do you want to treat activation? And sometimes trying to help activate the muscles helps their body relax 
those muscles because you're getting better activation of the motor pathways. So sometimes if we're too focused on treating the positive symptoms like spasms or rigidity or dystonia, we if we take a different tact and try to treat kind of motor pathways or motor activation, sometimes I get a better response with that. But I, that's my sort of thought on why the 81 versus the 49. And again, I've been playing with both of those in the central nervous system. And I liked Minette's comment about the use of the vagus. I thought that was really cool too. Dave, I don't know if you have any other, any things to add for that 30 month toddler. Yeah, the other thing is the basal ganglia frequencies. So running the basics with 988, which is for basal ganglia and then 40 for inflammation and 81 to increase secretions. I've had good luck with that. And again, treating the scarring of the dura and then also look for any kind of, if you're somebody who does manual work, any kind of strain patterns, vertical vectors or folding, unfolding, if you're somebody who does fascial distortion model. And if you you aren't, then that might be something that you might want to look into or refer to a DO or chiropractor or PT or OT that's been trained in that. And if I left any of the specialties out, I apologize. So sometimes FSM can only get you so far if there's some sort of a mechanical restriction. Don't forget to treat the physical part of the restrictions as well. Good. Okay, Manette, you can chime in if there's any more things that we missed here. Summer had asked two questions, please. Any suggestions for autoimmune vasculitis and hyperinflated lungs? Whoa. We're just like, we're swinging for the fences today, aren't we? <laughs> Those are good ones. Really good ones. Okay, you guys go. I'll let Dave take the vasculitis ones. I think the hyperinflated lungs we've seen. So I see a lot of hyperinflation injuries or ventilatory issues on our inpatient patients who require ventilatory support. And I think looking at, is this, and I'm not sure some are what type of population you're working with, but we see some hyperinflation with, obviously we work in PEDS, so I don't see COPD or that kind of hyperinflation that we see with obstructive disease. And so I see a lot of diaphragmatic dysfunction or spasms or diaphragmatic hemiparalysis or a variety of things. And so I've worked with a speech therapist who had a big focus on diaphragmatic dysfunction, and we'd been working on some protocols for that. And that's had really interesting results treating the nerve and the diaphragm, which is interesting. The diaphragm is 84. So it's a shared frequency with the cerebellum, which I find fascinating. And it all fits together and makes sense on why both your breathing and your kind of coordination improves together. So I, I'm not sure if, but that's one approach I've had for the hyperinflation, but I don't know if summer, if your population is more kind of adults and more, more like true respiratory disease and that I have less experience with. Dave, anything to add with that? I don't have a ton of experience treating lungs. Again, pediatrician. I do have kids with like cystic fibrosis and I've treated several adult patients with coronavirus post scarring and things like that. One of whom was a police officer in town who ended up on ECMO, which is heart lung bypass for several months and had a lot of scar tissue and Fortunately, he had a CAT scan, which I was able to pull up the radiology report. And based on their translation of what was going on with his lungs, it's like, we have frequencies for fibrosis. We have frequencies for scar tissue. And so I was able to plug in the numbers for fibrosis, for scarring, and of the bronchioles of the alveoli of the lungs. Also treat the diaphragm, and we have frequencies in the advance for C45, cervical 345 nerves, which innervate the diaphragm. So you can treat those and also the vagus as well. I had good results with those. And obviously, if you're having hyperinflation, is there something mechanical also going on with the ribcage and the diaphragm that you can maybe work on, maybe do some rib raising techniques or myofascial release to that area, diaphragm release, things like that can all be beneficial. 
Excellent. Yeah, Ben, I have to just touch on the 84 as a diaphragm and the cerebellum because I do a lot of diaphragm release, rib work. And when I first started, I remember thinking, hey, what we have, what's, what's diaphragm again? I checked on the buddy. I'm like, no, that can't be right because that's the cerebellum. And then you have that moment. You're like, it's the same frequency for a reason. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I remember that, that treatment specifically. It's very interesting and you're right. There is something about breath and movement that is just innately connected. I'm having a ton of fun with the two of that. Summer wrote again, it's me. I just found out two days ago in the ER that oh, my cool. lungs were hyperinflated. Oh no. Okay. So it's summer. And then she also discovered the autoimmune vasculitis in the past week. So summer, this is about you. Okay. I'm going to go back up here. Marla asked, has dystonia been addressed with FSM? Dave has. Oh, Dave, I think you're muted. Sorry, my dog was barking. So I put myself on mute. <laughs> the patient that I was telling, I think the last podcast, I mentioned a girl named Maria who we presented, actually Keith Phillip presented at the International Symposium a couple of years ago. And she, I was looking through her MRI report. I saw that she had a brain bleed to the basal ganglia and she had dystonic CP to the point where they had to physically restrain her because she was just getting so banged up. Yeah. And when we ran the frequencies for bleeding into the basal ganglia and inflammation of the basal ganglia, her arms just, uh, she was going from this to the, her arms just dropped and she looked stoned. And uh, so I've run that on quite a few of my kids with dystonic CP, and it's been amazing. So don't forget to treat the basal ganglia for that one. The autoimmune question, Vegas, various frequencies for that. And then you need an anti-inflammatory diet because you need to figure out what's causing this reaction. All right. I'm going to shut the questions down soon. Just kidding. Louise asks, do you use either frequencies for TH1 and TH2 with autoimmune? I have not. I have nothing to add, Ben. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then Alf wrote, you mentioned the frequency for phrenic nerve. I'm not sure who that was for. Did we talk about that? I think, I think we were talking about diaphragm. And so I, it, at least as far as I'm aware, we don't have a specific phrenic, phrenic nerve frequency. And so we do, like Dave mentioned, the three, four, five nerve roots, which support the diaphragm. That's the kind of innervation. And so that that's typically how we go about it. Treat the nerve roots plus the nerve plus the diaphragm. And that tends to be beneficial. A lot of 321 for it. 321. I was just going to say on a, when we're doing a lot of See, that's when you start, you put netters. Carol came down here a couple of weeks ago for me to work on her shoulder. And it was so funny. I'm like, stop. I just need to get netters. And I was putting it on my little trolley. She's like, just put it on my stomach for crying out loud. <laughs> so whenever I'm treating diaphragm, I love to have netters has a really great picture. I almost always have it open because I need to get a visual of what I'm doing where I'm accessing it. And yeah, each nerve doesn't have its own frequency. But again, like going back to basics, is it scarred in there? Is something folded over on itself? There's so much adipose there. So a lot of other add-ons that you can run, especially with the diaphragm. And then when we're using 13, especially 13 loves to be mobilized, even getting people to just do breath work while you're, you don't have to be really specifically trained in visceral manipulation to just have them do a lot of deep breathing with that 
exhale to get things to compress and expand is wonderful. So there's that question. I got another question that was emailed in, and we'll see if you guys want to talk about this one. It's the TTH protocol. And this one always get, gets a lot of questions when we teach the teach it and then with patients and what is it and when do I use it? And I think so many of us have different interpretations of TTH and when to use it. So I'd like for you guys to start with that one. Dave, why don't you start with TTH? So I played around with this a lot when I, after the first class, just because everybody's has, I've got this and I've got this and I've got this. So I tend to run the TTH when I have patients who have multiple diagnoses or they have multiple injuries, or I just got over this concussion and then I tripped and then I broke my arm. And then my mother-in-law just moved into the house and my dog died. And they are just, they tend to have TTH, a lot of stuff happen to them. And how much of this is coincidence versus how much of this is your bad juju that just needs to energetically be corrected. So that's when I play around with it. I've had some pretty decent results with it sometimes. And you just watch the face glaze over the patient will be like, that's interesting. I haven't had anything earth shattering with it, but it's always fun to play, especially after you listen to Carol talk. I always revisit that after I attend one of her core seminars and because I have not had anything profound, but I'm still waiting for it to happen. It's going to happen one of these days. I know it. <laughs> Dave, what do you have to add? Or sorry, no, uh, Ben? Don't confuse no, me with I, no. I think similar. I, I think it, it varies and I'll go through periods of months where I'm not using it at all. And then I'll have a couple patients that I'm adding it in multiple times for them, but I don't have the same energetic talents Dave does still feeling it out, but agree. I go a lot on kind of what Carol described and when always, I think with all of these protocols and frequencies, there's this kind of continued re-understanding of how they're used and how we treat them. And I think that I think as people start to get creative with these, we'll find other uses for it or understandings of it, but I share a similar use to Dave. Agreed. Louise, right. What is TGH? I think it's just translated to tendency to heal, but it's actually the opposite. It's like the resistance of healing or what's it also called like energetic spiders and snakes. So Carol tells this very colorful story of stuff happening when somebody was on the table is an energetic thing. She had a clairvoyant, I think, working with her at the clinic who could see energetic shifting and Carol was freaked out that whatever was leaving the person was somehow in the room and to make sure that it left. So again, a lot of different interpretations. I think for anybody objectively though, trying to figure out like, when do I run this? It's that history that you're just like, holy cow, all that happened to you and you're in the last year or two. So things like that, I'm not sure how it works, but I do just sometimes if I have an extra custom care laying around and that patient tells that story where you're just like, holy cow, no harm in, in running that. I, I tend to run it when I'm like dropping things all the time. If I'm not getting great parking spaces anymore, stuff like that. I'm just like, something is clearly off. I need to run TTA. I never run it for pain. I don't run it for anything other than there's just some good hitting the mute. That was quick. Day. Quit barking. <laughs> Kevin will edit the barking out, but I agree. I don't know if there's anything more objective that we know about TTH. And whenever I go to the advanced meetings, I always tend to ask people about it. And some people have really great stories about it, but other than, other than that, the only time I've ran it was there's one actually frequency pair. And I don't remember what it is taken from the TTH protocol. And it is just resistance to heal. 
And we had a patient that nothing worked. She was really, she was a practitioner in the sports course and she didn't feel smush and she didn't get pain reduction. And it was everything that we tried, nothing. It was like the equivalent of the toddler, just like crossing her arms and this isn't working. And so I had ran that one pair and it was like instant closed your eyes, calm, stoned. What was that? I'm like, I don't know. It was just that one pair that jumped out at me and it was resistance to healing. So sometimes I think it it can be used in that case. Manette, no, I'm sorry. We can't make this two hours. We will have them both back with Carol. And then maybe we can make like a big, a big long one. Yes. Tendency to have, sorry, tendency to have not tendency to heal tendency to have. And the sentence can go on from there. What else? Oh, Michelle wrote regarding the autoimmune encephalitis, consider running infections like Lyme and co-infections and mold specifically causes autoimmune encephalitis, AKA brain on fire. Good point. Um, yes. We have such a wealth of information that comes at us all the time. So that saw, was the saw a question on Neil Nathan's book. Oh yes. Does that show up? Nope. <laughs> nope. So it's called Energetic Diagnosis. Oh, yes. I have that book. I don't know why that's not. I think because you're about oh, there. Oh, it has my background. background. Yeah. If you unblur your background, then we can. But then we see his bookshelves. Oh, they're not pretty. <laughs> they are not good. I don't know how to do that. That's okay. But if you bring it up again, like close to your face again and back it up just a little bit. Nope. You can see your hands and not the book. Hilarious. Let me see if I can find it. It's energetic diagnostics. Yes. Energy diagnosis, I think, right? By Neil Nathan. It's called Energetic Diagnosis by Neil Nathan, MD. There it is. Another really good book. Oh, it's like book club. Is Jim Oshman's Energy Medicine. Yes. Which is way over my head, but there are parts of it that are fascinating. And if you ever get a chance to hear him speak or watch any of his videos, he's amazing. Yes, he is. I have a picture with him from an advanced a couple of years ago. And my kids are like, who's that? I'm like, he's like this amazing scientist. (laughs) Like, mom, you're such a nerd. (laughs) Like, no, (laughs) you're trying to think he's some sort of retired rock star or something. I'm like, he is in my world because when when, when he speaks, it is amazing. While we're talking about books, I wanted to share a book that somebody had written in that I had shared a while ago. I don't know if my picture is going to be blown out mass cell united this is a textbook but reads like a novel about a pt who had mass cell activation syndrome and this is something that's outside of my wheelhouse but anybody who wants to read more on on a holistic approach to mass cell activation syndrome this has been like i said it reads like a novel and the woman she's a pt who wrote it you're reading it and you're like, holy cow, I want to run TTH up to the book to try to help her because her history is insane. While we're all sharing our favorite books, thought I would just add mine onto there. Oh, that sounds interesting too. I there's only so many no, there's I know only so many hours that you can read. So some clothing, we I barely touched the surface. You're right, Manette. This should have been like a two-hour thing. I've got two pads of legal notes here that I wanted to talk about, but somebody Ben had written about your, your talk at the symposium. I believe it was on small fiber neuropathy. Somebody had a question about that. How long ago, sorry, how long ago, how, sorry, how old was the patient that you were working with? Oh gosh. So there's though, I think the one I presented at the time was 14. Okay. Or let me think. 
mid-teens. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. That was, that was a, I watched it. I was sitting in the back of the ballroom when you were talking and everybody was just like, can you, when you were done, can you play it again? Cause that was amazing. Any closing thoughts for you two that you want to share or say, or close with Dave, can you actually talk about the course, the fascial distortion model one more time? Because fascial distortion model, actually Dr. Paris Carbot, who's also a DO in functional medicine, introduced me to fascial distortion as she was torturing me several years back. Some of the fascial distortion treatments are not pleasant. You will be badly bruised, but you will feel tons better when it's over, mostly because you're just happy it's over. But no, that actually is an amazing treatment. And I use it a lot on my cerebral palsy kids. So it's based on there are six types of fascial distortion and the patient shows you what is wrong with them based on their hand gestures and their physical description. So if you're somebody who sits at a computer and doesn't look at your patient, you miss half of the encounter. Because like listening to your patients when you're running FSM, you also need to watch your patients because a lot of times they will physically show you how to fix them if you are trained in fascial distortion. Hmm. And I took the class probably five years ago. It has totally changed my practice and I've used it a lot on fibromyalgia patients, chronic headache patients, cerebral palsy, spasticity patients. A lot of us have pain in our trap areas. And a lot of times patients will draw a line and say, it hurts right in through here. And that actually means something. Their hand gestures mean something. And they are actually coming to Cleveland Clinic October 15th and 16th. They are teaching module two, which is not a prerequisite. You do not need to go in order, but there are three modules that you can take. And it's all the same distortions. It's just they teach you how to treat them based on the area that they're treating. So this one involves some inversion tables and a lot of cool techniques. The the inversion tables have been in my spare bedroom for three years now because it got canceled in 20. 20. And unfortunately, they are actually still in the box. They've not even taken them out, but I am taking them back home with me. He's not getting them back. It's, they've been in my house three years. It's now part of us. So that is it. That was awesome. FDMacademy.org. Matt Booth is a doctor of physical therapy. He's a pretty much elite uh, triathlete and he's a really cool guy to work with. And we'd love to have you guys. Great plug. Anything, Ben, that you'd like to add for anything? No, I was going to say that I was not heavy utilizer of manual therapy coming from an MD versus a DO background. And I think this really got me more heavily involved with manual techniques. And I wasn't sure on how much I would use it. And I use it almost daily on many different patient types. And it's a really neat technique and very quick and a lot of significant benefit to it. So That's so nice to hear. I know FSM has changed so many patients' lives, but I love hearing how it's changed practitioners' practices, probably more than patient life. So to, as a manual therapist, when I hear somebody who doesn't traditionally practice with hands-on, who is now hands-on, I think that works just so synchronistically with FSM. You have to touch and feel smush and look and listen and really be involved with your patient. I think I feel so I've really slowed down my practice. That was my, I guess my one question that I wanted to ask early on, we talked about a little bit how FSM has changed your practice or your lives as practitioners. As my closing thought, I went from a really busy practice in Canada where I was seeing three patients all the time and running in between rooms 
to I have really slowed down my practice and I'm spending 60 to 90 minutes with the patient in this really big, great fluffy room where I can look somebody in the eye and engage with them and feel their tissue. And I do a lot of exercise rehabilitation with FSM. And that connection is something I will never give up for anything in the world, getting to spend time with my patients like that. So I'll let you guys and for your closing thoughts, if how I think you probably talked about it just now, Ben, with using the fascia distortion model and yeah, being able to. No, yeah, I, I think the two go really well together and it just enhanced what we were doing manually with FSM, but in, in a very different, I think it's cha- definitely changed my practice like majorly just in terms of what we can offer patients. And I think the ability to improve quality of life is the biggest thing to me for any type of patient. Yeah, for sure. Dave, closing thoughts. Totally agreed. I remember when Ben first talked to me about FSM, he just kept talking about FSM. I was like, what the heck is FSM? I'm pretty open-minded. I do a lot of different techniques and it really wasn't until I experienced it with patients with him and did some things after Carol that my mind was blown away. And I totally agree with you in terms of the palpatory experience. And as they teach you to think with your fingers, which I never really understood that until I started doing microcurrent. And when you put your hands on the patient and you feel the tissue softening under your fingers, and when you have people with you, like a neurologist or a pain management specialist, or somebody who does a lot of tissue diagnostic work, they don't realize how bad they are until they see the effects of FSM and they're like, oh, that's really, I've never felt a tissue change that quickly, but it allows you as a practitioner to allow what you're feeling to translate into what you're thinking and how you're going to treat that individual in front of you. And so it's a great compliment to be able to do both. Her hour is up. I used to think that when I talked with Carol, it was the fastest hour of the week. This is definitely flown by. Thank you both so much. I think we're going to yeah. have to have you as a, like a regular thing every once Well, I think that they should pay to fly us out to a mutual place where we can all be in one room. I agree. Let's get that going. We're going to have to wait, I think, until the advance. Then there will be the trifecta of awesomeness right there. We will be in person. Thank you to everybody that joined live. Thank you for everybody that listens to us. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thank you, guys. It's great to see you again. Yeah, We'll see everybody. Oh, sorry. So next week, I'm having Jennifer Sosnowski on. She's going to be my guest. We're going to be talking about Lyme, mold, concussion, all things to do with that. So join us live then. And then on the next Wednesday, Andrew Fawcett is going to be joining me. He's a PT from Columbus and maybe the rest of his group will be on there. They are visionaries as far as PT and using FSM. So I can't wait to bring him on. So that's lineup for the next couple of weeks. Thank you both for coming and we'll chat with you guys soon. Good to see you. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.